Hey everybody, welcome to episode 137 of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. My name is Kieran, and I have been metal detecting for the last 30 years. This week we talk about when trash becomes treasure. And we also talk about Hitler's left testicle. So let's get on with the show. Hey everybody. Yes, so this week we're going to talk about one man's trash is another man's treasure. Or when trash becomes treasure. If you've been detecting for any amount of time, we constantly dig up little pieces of history and we may look at them as treasure. But some other people may look at them as trash. And I'm going to try and outline this week about what it takes for something to become treasure. If you've been detecting for long enough, you will have witnessed the following. You would have been on the forums or on social media and seen some beginner posting up a rusty piece of a find and witnessed the onslaught of, oh, that's trash, man, just throw it in the bin. Yeah, you'll find loads of that stuff. You'll find loads of aluminium on the beach. You know, get rid of it. That's all just rubbish, man. Move on to the next thing. Every time I see it, I go, come on, give this guy a break. He's a beginner. And this is absolutely treasure to him or her. Why? Why would we consider that treasure? Well, it can be broken down into a couple of factors. First one being experience. We'll talk about that in a second. The second being rarity. The third being what it's made of. And the fourth being provenance. For example, as a new detectorist, we go out hunting and we're digging up everything. As you should, dig everything. Every target we dig is potential treasure to us. And we're looking at it and we're like, with eyes wide open, super enthusiastic about it. And of course, when we find something, we want it to be treasure. So we post it up on the forums, on social media, and sometimes it gets trashed and you really are dejected. And you feel bad and you're like, I'm so stupid, I should have known that was rubbish. However, that's not the case. Every detectorist out there remembers the first few finds. Be it a 2p piece or a quarter, I guarantee 90% of you still have your very first finds put away somewhere safe. Or if you're lucky, you have them on display. Now, myself personally, my very first have gone missing. We moved house several times over the years. So I believe they went missing in those moves. However, my mother may have just got sick of them and fired them in the bin. But like everybody, I can talk about my very first finds. My very first find that was a real find was the horseshoe of a dray horse. This was a big old rusty horseshoe. And there was nothing special about it, except that it was from a dray horse. And there was no dray or Clydesdale type horses for 100 years previous. This meant it had some level of rarity, but I didn't know that at the time. To me, it was my first find and a first real legitimate find. The next day I went out, I found a mini coin spill of two peas and one pea coins. I thought I was the dog's bollocks. I was like, woohoo, I'm on a winner here. The next day I went out, I found an old uniform button. So three days in a row, I found something amazing to me. However, when you look at them in isolation, there's nothing special about them. Everybody has two P, one P quarters in their collection. Everybody finds horseshoes and everybody finds military buttons, especially if you grew up around a military barracks. So in isolation, these finds weren't, aren't special or treasure at all. But to me, they very much were treasure 
because it validated me as a metal detectorist or treasure hunter, as you used to call it back in the day. So that's the first point, is the circumstances in how you found them and the story that you can tell behind it. The second point is probably to do with rarity. If you look at rarity, and in particular that dray horse horseshoe, you know, that would, that would have been considered pretty rare. So not only did it validate me as a treasure hunter, it also had some level of rarity, particularly in the setting it was in. So to elaborate on rarity even more, take Coke bottles, for example. You've got the Hutchinson bottle, which is highly sought after and expected to fetch about $4,000 whenever one is found in good condition. However, the next bottle in the series would be the straight edge contour bottle. And if you were to find one of them, you would believe, oh, yeah, I'm onto a winner here. But these only go for $25 to $100, depending on condition. And that's because of rarity. The Hutchinson bottle is extremely rare. And because of that, you don't have many good examples of it in existence. So to find one in good condition is extremely rare. And that rarity means it's treasure. If I, for example, was to find a silver quarter in Ireland, to me, that would be rare. And I'll get onto that now in a second when I talk about provenance. But to me, that would be extremely rare. But to the listeners who listen in the US, we measure how successful your year is by how many silver coins you find. They're that common. And also, if you think about it, this will be on to the next point about what they're made from. Silver coins that you'd find, like you might find a silver quarter in the States, that may only have three, four dollars of actual silver in it. So to you, it's of value. But for me, you know, if I found that silver quarter in Ireland, that would be huge value because of the provenance. And we'll get onto that again in a second. I know I've said it twice now. So the silver value in a coin is only three to four dollars. And because they're not particularly rare in the US, they may skirt the, the logic around what is treasure and what is not treasure. They're valuable, but they may not be treasure. However, if it was a silver real coin, that's absolutely treasure to you guys in the States. However, in the UK and Europe, silver Roman coins and reals, even though we would consider them treasure, are way more popular in Europe and in the UK than they would be in the US. So it's all about where they're found, how rare they are, and what they're made up of. To elaborate more on what they're made up of, there's a gemstone called Fordite, and Fordite has formed because in the Detroit car manufacturing plants, where they would spray the cars, you had a layered buildup of paint on the floor, and Fordite formed in that layered paint over decades because the paint slowly hardened to form a material that was able to be cut like a gemstone and polished. And Fordite right now is highly sought after in the jewellery making industry. However, if you look at it at the sum of its parts, you wouldn't say it's particularly valuable. So it's about assigned value and its rarity. I imagine Fordite's fairly rare as well, being that it can only be found in old car manufacturing plants. So we've looked at where it was found, the experience, you had in finding it, we talked about rarity, and we've kind of addressed what it's made up of. But let's talk about provenance. Provenance is the story an object has tying it to the past. 
So let's go back to that quarter I talked about. So where I live in Ireland, very close to me, there is the site of a US World War One seaplane base. And the footprint of the seaplane base is still there. The pillars to the gates are there. You can actually see the building outlines in the fields around. And my dream is absolutely to find a, an American coin or an American quarter or a mercury dime there on that beach behind that spot. It would be very difficult to get to. I'm still trying to figure it out. However, my, my top find, you know, my bucket list find would be to find an old American coin from World War I in, in that area. One, it would be a first for me. Two, it would be rare because of its situation in Ireland. Three, it would be rare enough because it's made of silver, for example. And four, would be because of its provenance tying it to the World War I seaplane base in Cork, Ireland. So to me, that's all four factors. And to me, a coin like that would be absolute treasure on top of my bucket list. So what has this got to do with Hitler's left testicle? Well, so... In researching this episode, I knew I was going to have to talk about provenance and I was racking my brain about how what I could use as an example of provenance or difficulty in establishing provenance. And I know there was a story that Hitler, Hitler had one testicle and it was supposedly it was on display in the Royal Albert Hall in London. Ricky Gervais even does a joke on it and I imagined it was there on a velvet on a pillar, and a glass pillar with a velvet cushion, Hitler's testicle shriveled up like a little prune sitting on the cushion. I actually honestly believe that to yesterday. However, in researching the providence of this, that situation, I learned that what's on display in the Royal Albert Hall in the UK is the words to the song, Hitler has one ball. And there is questions about the providence of the song, Hitler has one ball. So, it's amazing how stories travel and how it ends up <laughs> and how we end up talking about this on a podcast. However, I am extremely and supremely disappointed that there isn't a pedestal in the Royal Albert Hall with Hitler's left testicle on a purple velvet cushion sitting there for all to see. Anyways, guys, a nice short one this week. Just for clarity, I've had to record this twice today. Um, so it may come across as a little bit rushed and a little bit short and I do apologise however I'm a little bit under the weather and I've had to record this twice my audio setup failed halfway through the last time I didn't realise till I finished but anyways enough excuses guys I hope you like my shirt um, It's my I like to call this my midlife crisis shirt but uh, listen guys that's it get out there good luck happy hunting and remember one man's trash is another man's treasure and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of it. As long as you think that it's treasure, then it's treasure. Like and subscribe, guys. Chat to you all again next week. And I hope you have a great weekend.